you're listening to the True Life Church podcast. To learn more about True Life Church, including our service times in Melbourne, Florida, join us online at truelifemelbourne.com or find us on Facebook. Today's message comes from lead pastor Joshua Smith. We are in our Summer 7 series. We are on week 6 out of 7 of our Summer 7 series, the triple S. We talked about a lot of verses through this series. The whole point of this series is that we're taking a look at seven of the most misunderstood, misused, or misquoted verses in the Bible, and we're looking at them uh, in a deeper lens, hopefully pulling out some, some text or stepping back to look at it in a bigger context to understand what is going on in some of these verses. So we've looked at verses like Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Right? Today, we're going to look at a special one. And uh, turn with me in your Bible to Romans chapter 8. And just put your finger there. It's Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And I'm hoping today, to be honest, I'm hoping today is a, is a not long message. I know you're like, okay, I believe you, um, especially after the Do I Really Believe That series, and you're like, do I really believe that it's a short message? No. Um, <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm praying that today is just a simple takeaway. We're going we're gonna to unpack some things. We're going to look at some Greek, and, and I hope that you walk away with a bigger understanding, or a better understanding, rather, of this Romans 8 Verse 28 verse. And to, to set up this tone, in 2004, on September 13th, a magical thing happened. And this magical thing was that a whole audience of people attending the Oprah Winfrey show all got Pontiac G6 cars. It was during Oprah's giveaway series and it was, it was a popular, you usually give stuff away, and she'd have a little prize, and like, and look under your seat now, and ha! And people would look under their seat, ha! And, and just get really excited. But on this particular day, Oprah really wanted to, to, to wow people and, and blow them away. And so they had keys to cars that were behind in a secret parking lot, a field of cars, Pontiac G6s. And in every box was a key, but they didn't know it yet. And so they passed out the boxes, and Oprah's like, and in one box, there's a key that goes to a car, right? Just, and to be honest, I think it was all an audience of women or something. Like that. I, I don't think I saw a single man in, in the replay. Anyway, so, and much, much excitement. And she's like, no, wait, open the boxes at the same time. Wait, you ready? And they open the boxes and screams, because every box has a key inside. And that key goes to a new car, and that car is a Pontiac G6. Just screams are so noisy and chaos, and it became so popular that it became a meme. And I'm sure you've seen this. I've duplicated it, duplicated, duplicated, duplicated it. Anyone ever seen this before? It's the Oprah meme, right? And it's taken from the exact moment she's there wearing her red suit, and you get a car, and you get a car, and you get a car, and you get it. And everyone's, ah, yeah. Today's sermon is called the Oprah meme because we're reading Romans chapter 8, verse 28. I'm going to read it. 
And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Now the problem, not with this verse, but with how people interpret or take or strip down this verse, is that it becomes very simple and therefore very dangerous because it's you get goodness and you get goodness and you get goodness and you get goodness and good, 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 you're good, good, everybody gets good. Just like the Oprah meme and it gets dangerous in our faith. So let's read this again. Read with me if you're following along. Right now, just verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Let's read that again. This may require you to open a Bible, pull it up on an app, pull out some paper, or whatever you need to do. Let's try it again. Let me hear you. Verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Now we have in the, intentionally in the past um, moved away from or stopped singing songs um, that were done before because they took this verse not only out of context but incorrectly, right? Uh, there's a song by Jesus Culture. You make all things work together for my good. Is that what this verse says? No. Why do you think we do not sing it? Because it's not biblically or theologically correct. And it, there's danger when we sing things enough, even in song and repeat things enough. There's danger when we hear things enough. There's danger when we scroll past a meme or a post that just makes me feel good, butterfly spiritual things uh, on Facebook. And, and there's danger in that when we read it again and again and again and again, and that thing is not true. Is there danger in that? Yes. Hopefully I don't have to explain that. You know, if, if you saw everywhere, and you grew up in a world where billboards were posted that said, gravity is fake, gravity's not real, don't believe gravity, and you grew up there like, well, maybe, 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 they're, maybe they're right. There's a cliff. You know what? I've seen this growing up all my life. like Loki. I've been falling for 30 minutes. Right. Um, I'm probably going to butcher the Greek, but I want you to hear this. You knew exactly what I said, right? Yes. See, this is the longest of the Pauline epistles, all right? Paul wrote many letters to many churches, and we have at least some of them that make up most of our New Testament. All right? And Paul's writing these letters to the churches, of which Romans is the longest one that we have. His other letters that we have, like Galatians, Ephesians, they're shorter. Romans is longer, and is obviously meant for the church in Rome. Okay, So he's writing this, and at the time, they wrote in Greek. You're like, I thought Romans spoke Latin. Yeah, but not in Eastern countries. Greek was still the most widely spoken language at the time. And you had to still be more educated 
in reading and writing to speak and write Latin. It was a next level language type of thing. And I took it for four years in, or three years in high school, and I probably, amo amasamat, just the, the verb, whatever, I, man, I hated it. it it's, a, it's a dead language, it's not spoken anymore. Is it beautiful? Uh, sure. Does it help me? They say it helps you with English. It does not. Um, and all lies? So just, it's, people most still at that time spoke Greek. It was the common language. So Paul wrote this in Greek to the church in Rome that most likely spoke Latin. You tracking with me? Okay. And so what I've just read is the Greek. And what it, what it really means when you break it down, and now, now you'll understand why we have translations, um, because it says this. We know now that to those loving God, God all things works together, God for good, to those according to his purpose called being. All right, there's different words. There's more words actually in the Greek than there are in the English there. So we, we gotta, it gotta stretch it out. Like well, this is, well, this is multiple meanings here. Right. So thank goodness for English. Right. Or is it? It might be far enough today to call it just American because uh, English is way over there, chaps. Um, but American, it, it sounds, it sounds, and 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 we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Is this? Pretty, 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 pretty darn close to the original Greek. Yeah, it's, it's really good. It was one of the reasons why I like to preach out of the ESV. Now, growing up, I read out of the NIV, or New International Version, right? And there was a 1984 version, and then they updated it in 2011 without telling anybody, and they changed some words. So if you have two copies, this verse still reads the same in both NIV, but many other verses do not, all right? So, when we have this verse, Romans 8.28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. What happens is, in the world of dangerous, you know, touchy-feely, this makes me feel good, happy butterflies, Jesus moments, translations, we come out with three alternate versions, some of which you may have just heard spoken, or just, you know, just felt in the, in the moment, or in a conversation someone else shared, and you're like, it made me feel good, and you're like, ah, oh, well, uh, whatever, and you walked away. It's fine. This is fine. It's not. It's not. It's like the Joker in the Batman. No, it's not. Fine. The simple version, God works all things. God just works all things. God is in all things and moves in all things. It's just God all things works. God is behind everything. And that's dangerous. Because the simple version leaves out that there is real evil in this world. We just talked about it. Because if God works all things, God works pornography. God works murder. God works school shootings. And so this very short, simple version leaves a lot of room for errancy and therefore confuse Christ followers. Or people who confuse what this is all about, right? So there's a simple version. God just God's behind everything. You might have a conversation. Oh, I just I, God's in it. Is He? Be very careful with that statement. Oh, just God's God's got it all. Just God's in it all. God's moving. Then we have the happy version. Happy version says, God works all things together for good. 
Now it's not just God works in all things. God works all things together for good. That means, you know, in, in every situation, God's going to work it uh, for good. Who, who's good? Now we have this debate, well, what I define as good is not what you define as good. And we had that in our Do I Really Believe That series, where we have set in stone that avocados are not good, though some of you are misled to think that they are. So it's not a universal truth that avocados are good. They are not. It, we cannot just believe that. God works all things together for good, and there's people will stop right there, put a period where there was a comma. And the danger in this happy version is that it tells us that God works things together for good, but when something is not good or something not good happens, then people can question if God is good or if he's real. Why? Because the God that was supposed to do all things for good, this didn't end up good. I did not like it. Death of my grandmother, not happy. The death of my father, not happy. Where's the good? God, God must not be real. God, God must not be good. Why? Because it didn't end up good. And that verse has told me that God works all things together for good. But is that what this verse says? No. So we have the simple version, we got the happy version, and then we have the personal version. God works all things together for my good. Whew. God works all things together for my good. God will bend space and time and alter reality so that I do not get in a car accident today. <sighs> Thank you, God. Wow. All for me. All for me. Thank you, God. And this puts us in the glory seat because everything is then about us. Everything revolving around us. Everything meant for our good. Everything. All things, even. All things for my good. Didn't that feel great? Sure it would. But is that true? Based on what this verse says. No. So we have the simple version, the happy version, and the personal version. And God is not your genie, and God is not about your glory and working everything out for you. And it's like, in today's, uh, you know, common Christianity, touchy-feely, I just want to feel good. That makes you feel good. But it leads you in, to a misunderstanding of who God is and what His goodness can be. It's like we want to be the, the center of our own solar system. And it's interesting, if you track back, you know, science, you know, you've got a whole bunch of theories in there. And, you know, a long time ago, they, and still some today, think that the earth is flat. Okay? There's, some, there's still a good portion of flat earthers out there. You know, there's a dome on top and just ice hangs off the bottom. And don't tip it over. I don't know what would happen. But there's, there's flat earth things and by this point, I think we've sent enough stuff into space that we can identify it's a sphere. Okay? Might be a fun debate, but not for here. All right? But they thought the earth was flat and the just waterfall just f f fell off, right? And, and then 
they had you know some scientists that you know came along in the 14 or 1500s because they thought not only was the earth flat the earth was the center of everything and as mankind's understanding grew throughout the centuries they they realized that hey everything else is is a sphere maybe earth is a sphere too maybe it's not flat heresy okay that didn't work out so well for many scientists they got excommunicated or put to death and then as science advanced, you know, even further, then they realized that, wait, wait a second, um, uh, that little moon thing that, that's, that's going around us and we're, it's orbiting us, that's a spherical thing orbiting us, and we're a spherical thing, and oh, by the way, the sun, that's not orbiting us. We're orbiting it. But good thing it's just us. You know, and that's cool. And then as our understanding got wider and wider. Now we we see that, guess what? The sun is the center, and it's one of billions or trillions or quadrillions of other suns in the infinite space that God has created. And we are an earth, tiny little itty-bitty speck, orbiting the sun, and our galaxy is even spinning and orbiting other things. It's crazy, right? And we're sending space probes out there, to the reaches of what we can transmit, just sending back amazing pictures and informations of nebula and black holes and galaxies. And we still haven't even come close to scratching the surface of an understanding of space, have we? Now, as we know more, as we learn more, our perspective changes. We are not at the center of God's universe. Does he love you? Yes. Did he send his son to die for you on a cross? Yes. But God is about God and God's glory now and forever for all time. And again, we're reading today out of the ESV. And now as we fast forward, not only understanding of of science and galaxies and things, I want to fast forward a little bit of time into some translations. We already read the original Greek, right? And though this is not quite chronological, we've read the ESV already. The ESV is a a translation I like. There's a whole, if you have one in the book, you can read the whole reason of, of why. We can talk about that another time. But we go to the King James Version. Any diehard KJV people in here? Everyone's pointing, you. Um, Here's the King James. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Is that pretty close to the ESV? Yeah, it's very close to the ESV, if you're talking translations. Then we have the NIV. i got an NIV Bible up here. I grew up on an NIV. I'm just going to read it. Yay, this is fun. The NIV. Do, 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 do. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Pretty, pretty close, right? Not far from the Greek. There's a translation called the voice. Now here's where things start getting fun. There's lots of different translations out there. To be honest, that's probably something that's equally, equally dangerous. The translation of the voice says, We are confident. That God is able to orchestrate everything to work towards something good and beautiful when we love him and accept his invitation to live according to his plan. 
See how things are getting a little bit more stretched, right? We are confident. Wait a second, I thought we knew. And then we go to the, back to the Greek, the oidamin word is we know. And there's a big difference between having confidence in something and knowing something, right? Like, I have confidence jumping out of an airplane with a parachute going skydiving. I have confidence that that parachute will open. But do I know? <laughs> there's the fear factor in skydiving, right? <laughs> oh, thank you, right? Maybe, but conversation for another time, but not necessarily in this verse. We are confident that God is able to orchestrate everything to work towards something good and now and beautiful. Good and beautiful. Another word stuffed in there. Then there's the American Standard. Here's the American Standard. Anyone have an American Standard Bible? Yeah, fairly common. We're America. America. Standard America. And we know that to them that love God, all things work together for good. Even to them that are called according to his purpose. See what happens there? To them that love God, all things work together for good. Now all you have to do is love God, not even be called according to his purpose. You just love it, and all things are going to work to good. And then even, even to those, you get like a bonus even to those who are called according to his purpose. There's the living Bible. It's alive. The living Bible. And we know that all that happens to us is working for our good if we love God and are fitting into his plans. A little shaky, right? All that happens to us is working for our good. For our good? When did it become my good or personal? I thought it was, we know that for those who love God, all things are working together for good. Again, who's good? My good? My personal good? And then there's this fun one. And to, back, to read this one, we're going to have to back up a couple more verses. So let's read from verse 26. And I'm, again, I'm in the ESV. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Never know when, like, not what to pray for. Like, I don't really know how to pray for this person. I know they're hurting, but what do I say? What do I say? Don't worry about it. If we don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Isn't that great? I don't know how to, what, how to say. I don't know how to comfort you in your loss. I don't know how to be with you in your grief. I don't know how to uplift your spirits. Maybe just be with that person and, and just just let the Holy Spirit guide you. You don't have to be an author. You don't have to write out your prayers and ahead of time so they sound good. Just speak and trust the Holy Spirit. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And now we get to verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Now here's this fun version called the message. And this, technically, this is not even a translation of the Bible. Technically, this is a novel based around the text of the Bible. And friends, brothers, sisters in Christ, 
encourage you, if you have one of these copies, it might be time for a bonfire. Like, can I do that? Yes. Why? Because it's not the Word of God. Hear this. Meanwhile, meanwhile, where's the meanwhile? Likewise. Meanwhile, like we're in a journey. Meanwhile, the moment we get tired in the waiting, God's Spirit is right alongside helping us along. If we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. He does our praying in and for us, making prayer out of our wordless sighs, our aching groans. He knows us far better than we know ourselves, knows our pregnant condition. Oh. and keeps us present before God. That's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. What the... Bibble babble. It's gibberish. Actually, this last sentence isn't even grammatically correct. That's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. How many prepositions is that? I lost count. Like, it's ridiculous, right? And this is where, if we're not careful, and if we don't know the text, if we're not reading the word, that sounds good. Because it's about my good. But it's not true. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Beginning in verse 3. Hebrews chapter 12. Beginning in verse 3. Actually, let's go to verse 1. Verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, people who have gone before us in faith and are around us now, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. A great little non-intentional plug for the purity thing we're talking on Monday, like put it aside, run your race, which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. He took all that beating, the punishment, the name-calling, the death, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. In other words, like, what does it really cost you yet? Anything? Nothing? Your life? Nope? Okay, keep running your race. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, or be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and chastises every son whom he receives. Now here we go into verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Now pause really quick here. You want to get to one of the core issues in our nation today, in our families today, is this. It's the lack of of adequate discipline. 
because the pendulum has swung too far in two different directions. On one side, you have abuse. And we have to be careful for that. Because men and women who have grown up in abusive households are probably going to abuse their own. And this cyclical pattern of generational sin, we act like it's Old Testament. Ah, it's not real today. Yes, it is. It 100% is. Because if you if show me an abused child, let's go to the father or the mother and ask them, were you abused? I guarantee you nine out of ten are going to say yes. And we go to their mother or their father, were you abused? And the answer is probably going to be yes. So the pendulum has swung one way direction too far and it's an abuse because people have confused discipline with abuse. And you can just hit and be mean and get out your feelings and that's not okay. And on the other side of the pendulum, there's do nothing. There's the parenthood style that says, I just want to be your friend. I want you to like me. I want, you to, I want to buy you all the things. You don't have to work for anything. I'll pay your way through, through college and buy you cars. I'll even apply for jobs for you. And yes, I know people who have done this. And they wonder why the what, you know, post-college graduate kid can't hold a job. He's never had to do a thing in his life. Because everything was handed to him on a silver platter. And parents just wanted to be his friend. Well, great, they're friends, but they're not his parents. They're his father and mother, but they never gave the boy discipline. This is so important. And it's a daily walk to seek God's guidance. To say, hey, my children need discipline. And because we are all children of God, therefore what applies to us? We need we need discipline. And that's where the writer of Hebrews, we don't know who it is, is, is giving us this perspective. So we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. A.K.A. also, inversely, if you don't discipline your child, will they grow up having respect for you? Well, no. We see this generation after generation. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of Spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time. My dad's not here to punish me anymore. And I can outrun my mother with a fly swatter. True story. Many times. And I can share this with you now. Um, my dad was uh, in a fraternity in college. And he had a fraternity paddle back when I think they did fraternity paddles. And i tell you, when I was growing up, if Dad brought out the fraternity paddle, I knew it was coming from my rear end. Until the day that that fraternity paddle broke on my rear end. <laughs> and half of it went flying out into the living room. Was I in pain? Was I hurting? Yeah, but I will never, ever, 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 ever forget that day or that lesson. I love my father dearly, not because he babied me, but because as I needed it, he disciplined me, and I respect him for that. Now again, my mom, I can just outrun, so. 
For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our what? He disciplines us for our... He disciplines us for our... He disciplines us for our... He disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. Here we are, verse 11. For the moment, all discipline, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Is this true? Yes. Of course it's true. First of all, it's the Bible. Second of all, like that. Yeah, duh. You can walk out to a person on the street who doesn't believe a word of this. You're like, hey, is, is discipline painful at the time? Yes, true. Okay. Discipline is painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And I can't tell you how many times growing up, and this is, I'm not trying to brag, it's not about me or my sister or my family or anything like that, because I understand many people are coming from many different contexts and everything like that, but growing up as a 9, 10, 11 year old boy, I can't tell you the number of times that a, a parent, a friend, or someone in a church would come up and, and tell me or tell my mom and dad, oh, I wish our little Johnny was as well-behaved as you are. I wish our little one was just as well-behaved as she is. That wasn't a reflection on me. That was a reflection on my father and my mother because they understood what discipline was. So if you want your children to grow up in love and have respect for authority and honor God, there's got to be discipline. And since we are children of God, we have to be willing and accepting that discipline could be coming your way. But I don't like this. This is painful. Well, yeah, now let's go back to Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Pause here, because there's a comma. All things work together for good. Now, is that for my good, or is it good? Because what is good can be painful in the moment, right? I was engaged in college to, now, obviously, my ex-fiance. Thank you, Lord, right? And she broke my heart and cheated on me. And I was broken, and I was upset. I was demoralized and depressed, did that feel good in the moment? No. Did, was it f good later on? Yes. And I believe one of the reasons why that happened in a Job-like way was because I was living sinfully. I was doing things that I shouldn't have been doing because that was meant for marriage. You reap what you sow. And I sowed poorly. So I reaped poorly. And the heartache helped shape and mold me for a time later when God would bring the best gift in my life, my way. I still don't deserve her. She's teaching kids down the hall. And I wish my wife saw me the way I see her. Any men feel like that? Like in today's world, again, where we're talking about purity and expectations of what women should or could could want to be. Don't be that. You are treasured in your husband's eyes. If he loves you. <laughs> I mean, really loves you. And you're beautiful. Like there ain't any such thing as a bad hair day. You don't have to put on makeup to be pretty. 
if you're if you made that covenant before God and he's with you you're the most beautiful person in the world husbands look at your wife right now I know this is, this is not in the message but look, look at your wife what a gift right we only got one box of Kleenexes to pass around that's okay that discipline that pain in the moment Back in 2004 and five, oh, that hurt. And it didn't just work out for my good. It worked out for good. Why? It wasn't just about me. It worked out for good, an overarching, bigger umbrella of good, because now I get to live life with Lisa. And now I've got my beautiful boys, Landon and Caleb. I can't imagine what my kids would have looked like with her. That's a joke. Because <laughs> they got all the pretty from Lisa, right? And they'll probably get the bald from me. They just don't know it yet. <laughs> One day at 27, they'll wake up. Oh. <laughs> Dad! It worked out for good. Because another reason is if I hadn't had that breakdown moment, I wouldn't have moved home. And if I wouldn't have moved home, I wouldn't have needed a job. I would have stayed at college. If I hadn't needed a job, I wouldn't have applied at the church where I grew up in because I needed a part-time music director. And if I hadn't needed a job, that part-time music director would have become full-time. And that full-time job wouldn't start a contemporary traditional worship. I had no idea what contemporary worship was in 2005. I'd done hymns all my life. And that full-time job wouldn't have led me to have a pastor who saw something in me, say, hey, 23-year-old dum-dum, you can preach once a month. Get your feet wet a little bit. Go visit people with me. I would have had that experience. And that experience wouldn't have led me to another church in Deland, Florida for four years. And to another church in Atlanta for two years. And I, that experience wouldn't have led me to come back here. And I would not be your pastor. And I would know a single one of you. If it wasn't for pain. And the process. In my past. And I'm thankful. Because it is good. Because God is good. Has it always been good for me? No. The last six years, six and a half years of those leading this church has been struggle. It's been hardship. It's been the hardest thing I've done in my life. But it, because of God, is good. And I believe that that is because of two things. And this is where we're going to close. And then we're going to sing a song. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Now say this part with me. For those who are called according to his purpose. You want good in your life? There's two prerequisites. Number one, love God. Number two, be called according to his purpose. And some of you made today, you, you love God a lot. You love him, you love him, you love him, but you don't have a clue what your purpose is. Am I following the calling or not? We're going to cover that in a couple weeks in another sermon. But for today, you need to walk out of here knowing that you need to love God 
be called according to his purpose. And then even in the discipline, though painful at the time, will yield a harvest of good. And the only reason it is good is because of who our God is. We can be sure, we can know, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Next time you see a meme or a quote, something around there, God works all things together for good. You stop them in their tracks. You say, uh-uh-uh-uh. It's like that, it's like that little you know, weird gift from Jurassic Park. Uh-uh-uh, uh-uh-uh. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, go watch Jurassic Park. Okay. It's Newman's character. Uh-uh-uh, uh-uh-uh. You tell him that. Next time someone brings that up, uh-uh-uh, and you go all Newman on them, and you say, actually, where did you hear that? What version are you reading of? And here's what the truth is. You're not the center of God's universe. Though he loves you. You want good in your life. Love God. And be called according to his purpose.